Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we'll read the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. We're still in a We Want to Be series. What do we want to be? We want to be positive. We want to be friendly. We want to be cutting edge. We want to be merciful. We want to be humble. We want to be a magnet. We want to be family. Today, we'll go a step further and see what else I hope we want to be. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Jesus said, Verily, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, those are religious leaders, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Notice what Jesus did say. And what he did not say, he could have said this. He said he could have said, I have come that you may have life and just leave it there. That would have been good. That would have been very good. I've come that you may have life and just put a big period right there at the end of that sentence. But he didn't stop there. He went on and he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it. To the full, to the full. King James Version says that you might have it more abundantly. Paraphrasing it, Jesus wants us more than just to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us personally as Christians to thrive. He wants your family to thrive. This is not prosperity gospel. This is growing in our relationship with the Lord and that relationship, that closeness, that ever-growing closeness should be evident in the things we do in our lives. We want to be thriving. Now, of course, that's also the name of our capital campaign that we were going, we're going to kick off on November the 15th. I hope you've been thinking about that, praying about that. What is, what is our part? What will our part be? Amanda and I have been talking about this. What will our part be? In this three-year campaign, 
But there's more than just a campaign at stake. There is, there is a, a, a whole future of our church and, and where we want to be as a church and what we want to be as a church and who we want to be as Christians. The poet Maya Angelou said, My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with passion, compassion, humor, and some style, she said. The exercise and fitness leader Jillian Michaels said, thriving, that's fighting. Surviving is barely getting by, she said. Leadership coach Tony DeVal noted, rethink your mindset, he said. Times are getting tougher and we need tougher mindsets to ensure that we go beyond survive to thrive, he said. And the economist Alex Tabarrok said, the only way to thrive is to innovate. It's just that simple. But I like Jesus' quote better. I like what he said. He says, I have come that people may have life and that you might have it, that they might have it more abundantly. I hope that we want to be a thriving church. I hope that we want to thrive. When I look around at uh, the religious condition of this world and our nation, but even more importantly, from my perspective, the religious condition, the, 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 the condition of our churches across this land, across this world, especially in our own nation, I am concerned very much because I see churches that are not even surviving, let alone thriving. And yet, I do not believe that God is pleased with a church that's even less than surviving. But I don't believe that he's pleased with the church that's merely surviving. I think that God expects his church to be thriving. And I believe that God has already given us everything that we need to thrive as a church. And so the question is, do we want to thrive? Do we want to be a thriving church. To thrive means to grow strongly and vigorously, to do well and to prosper spiritually. Again, this is not a prosperity gospel. You'll, you'll never hear me say that if you follow Jesus, you'll get rich. Or if you follow Jesus, you'll never get sick. Or if you follow Jesus, your marriage will always be great and your kids will always never be prodigal. The fact of the matter is, you and I well know Some of the finest people we know have had some problems, had troubles in some of those, one or more of those very areas. But Jesus wants us to thrive in our closeness to him and in the the attitudes and the behaviors that are the overflow of a life that is brought close to him. So I want you to join me as as we dissect parts of this passage of Scripture from John chapter 10. And the first thing I want you to see is that this whole, these 10 verses are actually part of a larger portion of Scripture that must be examined. We, we're looking at, at something that builds upon a recent event. John chapter 10 comes on the heels of a story that is in John chapter 9. In that chapter, Jesus and his disciples come up on a man an adult man who is blind. And, he, and the Bible tells us that he was blind from birth. 
And as the, the, Jesus and his disciples approach this man, the disciples have a question for Jesus. It's an age-old question. In fact, it's the same kind of mindset the disciples have that Job's three friends had way back in the book of Job. For the disciples asked Jesus, this man who's born, who was born blind, who sinned that he'd be born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Who sinned? Because their mindset was that bad things only happen to sinful people. But let's be honest, if bad things only happen to sinful people, we would all have only bad things happen to us, wouldn't we? Because we're all sinful people. But their, their mindset was, they said, look, we, we know that everybody's sinned, but there's some people who commit greater sins. They are the professional sinners. They're the obvious sinners. And those are the people we're talking about, Lord. Only bad things like blindness happen to them. And so they said, who sinned that this man might be born blind? And Jesus immediately countered their mindset. And he says, nobody sinned. Nobody sinned that he'd be born blind, but he's been born blind so that God may receive glory in his life circumstance. So the disciples were there. They had it wrong. But there was another group of people in that chapter. There were, there were the people who knew this blind man. They knew him well. They'd known him all of his life. Some of them were family members. Some of them were friends. Some of them were just neighbors who were acquaintances, but they were well aware of this man's condition. And so they watched what was going on. You know what people in that day, what they expected when, when there was a person who'd been born blind? You know what they expected concerning this man's future? Same thing we expect, that they're going to remain blind. They expected that nothing would change. They didn't anticipate anything changing. They didn't anticipate that man's world and their relationship with him to be any different than it had been for all of the life, his life, that they had known him. And so they watched Jesus do something really unorthodox. He gets up some mud, some dirt out of the ground, and he spits into it. And then he takes that mixture of spit and dirt and he wads it up into spit mud and then he takes that man and he just dabs that mud made out of spit into that man's eyes and then he said now I want you to go wash and the man went and he washed and he came up seeing can you imagine can you imagine what that would be like I can't imagine what that would be like. But the people's expectations turned out to be flat wrong. Jesus wanted the future of this man and his relationship with these people to be far better than what it had been when he was blind. And so Jesus changed their expectations by changing this man's sight. There was another group of people there in this event in chapter 9. There were the religious leaders. Now, uh, we have a little bit of a problem with this uh, passage, with this story, because the day that Jesus dabbed that mud in this man's eyes and healed his blindness, was, uh, it was the Jewish Sabbath. And the religious leaders were 
they were dogmatic in that there were certain things you were not to do on the Sabbath. Because if you did them, they constituted work. And everybody knows that God rested on the seventh day. And therefore, we all should rest on the seventh day. And so they even had it down to a science. You, you could take a, a certain number of steps on that day. But if you took one more step than the maximum number that was allowed, it was considered that you'd done work. And you'd broken the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and to rest on that day. And so Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. The religious leaders were so caught up in their rules and their regulations and their legalism that they had no compassion for people, really. They were more out, they they were more about catching people doing something wrong, especially Jesus, than they were about truly helping people at their point of need. And so here you have this event of this blind man being uh, healed of his blindness in chapter 9. Three different groups of people were there. There were the disciples whose bad theology was difficult to abandon. There were the crowds who had seen crisis for so long that they did not believe that anything could change for the better. And the religious leaders who were more interested in their rules than they were in the people to whom they were ministering. So these 10 verses in John 10 are set against the backdrop of a recent event. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the same crowd that witnessed the man who received his sight. In fact, uh, the the passage even says so in verse 1, Verily, truly, I tell you Pharisees, the religious leaders who were there, But they were all there. The disciples were there. The crowds and acquaintances of the blind man now seeing were there. And the religious leaders were there. And so he's addressing these same people. And he talks about the analogy of a shepherd and sheep and the sheep gate or the door to the sheep pen. And he says basically... Robs, robbers and thieves have come before me, but they couldn't enter in. They tried to enter in some other way, but he said, you have to enter in by the way of the gate. And he says, I am the gate. I've read where a shepherd not only would be the shepherd of the sheep, as in Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, but a shepherd often would, it would be the gate. He would literally, uh, when he would sleep, or when he would be guarding over the sheep, he would lay across the opening of the sheep pen, thereby actually being the gate. And so he talks about the fact that he's the gate of the sheep. But the the, the religious leaders who should have known what he was talking about did not know what he was talking about. I'm, I'm sure that if the religious leaders didn't know, the acquaintances of the blind man didn't know, and the disciples, they were constantly clueless. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the Gospel of John, but in the Gospel of Mark, Mark continuously shows Jesus dealing with blind people, not to show that he had the power to heal blind people, which he did have, but to contrast it with the true blindness of his disciples and the religious leaders. Mark was was, uh, gifted, inspired by God to show this contrast, and he would use something as simple as uh, a blind man needing healing. And so... These gospel writers are constantly prompting us to ask the question, who is it that's really blind in these passages? 
Who is it who's blind? Was it the blind man who got mud in his eyes? Or is it the religious leaders? Or was it the acquaintances? Or is it the disciples of Jesus who were blind? Jesus is talking to the same crowd. And one of the common denominators that all three groups in that crowd had was they did not expect, nor did they want life to change. They wanted it to click along in the same way. It wasn't that they liked everything about their lives or or their current status, but they were so familiar with it, so comfortable with it, that they did not want to change it. That leads me to make a statement here that I want you to hear. Because I have to hear it. I have to hear it myself, and it's this. this. This attitude. It's so typical of so many churches. We've become so familiar with swimming in shallow water that we do not even want to think about going to the deep. We have become so comfortable, not really swimming in shallow water, walking in shallow water where our feet can still touch the ground, that we will not even think about delving into deep water. But deep water is where Jesus was telling this crowd to go. We may resist any challenge to going into the deep water, but Jesus is challenging us. He's constantly, just look at the Gospels, He's constantly challenging people to go into the deep water. Because thirdly, he is calling us to be more than we think. Jesus said one time, you remember him saying this? He said this. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a person thinks, as a church thinks in their hearts, so they are. What do you think in your heart? What do you want to be as a church? What do you want to be as a Christian? And what do you want to be as a Christian family? Jesus calls us to be and do more than we think we can be or that we can do. And the only thing keeping us from being more than we are and doing more than we can do is ourselves. The person next to you is not keeping you from doing it or being The person in front of you, the neighbor down the street. No, no, your health is not. Only you, your mindset, my mindset is the only restriction from me being everything that God wants me as a Christian man to be and you as a Christian person to be. You remember Luke chapter five? I know you do. Maybe not by the reference, but it's a story. It's early in Jesus' ministry, according to Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus is coming by the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, a common uh, uh, fishing lake. And there's a group of fishermen who have been fishing all night long. It's in, the, it's in the morning. Jesus is approaching the lake, and these fishermen have been fishing all night. It's been one of those nights when nothing went right. There's nothing like fishing all night and constantly... It, hauling in fish as soon as you throw your rod out or your net out. There's nothing like that. But there's nothing more miserable. I can't think of anything more miserable 
outside of a stomach virus of fish than fishing all night and absolutely catching nothing. And so there they were, they'd caught nothing. They were tired, they were mad, they were sailors, so you can imagine what their vocabulary was. And they were washing their nets. They were done. They were done. And a crowd is following Jesus, even though it's very early in the morning. And so he hops onto one of their boats and uses it as a makeshift preaching platform. And he preaches from that ship. And when he gets through, he turns to these uh, fishermen who no doubt are uh, a little irritated that he has just uh, taken upon himself to board their ship and use it. While they're trying to get done and get home, maybe get showered and whatever they're going to do. And Jesus turns to him. One of the guys' name was, his name was Simon. And he said, Simon, he said, let's go fishing. Now, can you see Simon? Can you see Simon when Jesus says, Simon, let's go fishing. And Simon says, we're done fishing. Now, I'm, I'm using a little artistic license here, but I'll guarantee you that's what Simon said. He says, we're done fishing. He said, no, let's go fishing. We're done fishing. We, we, look, you're a good teacher and all. That's good and well. But we're fishermen. We do this for a living. We've been out there all night. The fish are taking a nap right now. They don't want to bite anything. They don't want to get in any nets. They don't want our company. And Jesus said, let's go out into the deep. And I promise you, you go out into the deep and you will catch more fish than you'll be able to haul. And he was so persuasive that Simon and his colleagues agreed to get the nets back in the boats and get the boats back out into the deep part of the lake and they threw their nets into the water. And Luke says in Luke chapter 5 that that so many fish got into those nets that they were unable to haul them by themselves and had to call other people to come haul them, help them haul them. Now, what is the point of that story? Was it that if you do step one, two, and three, you'll haul in a lot of fish? If you fish in the right spot? Is that it? Is that it? No. It is that if you're willing to listen to Jesus, even when you are dead tired, He's calling you and me to launch out into the deep. Where were they fishing their nets? They were in the shallow water. They were washing their nets in the shallow water. And Jesus said, go out into the deep. Verse 7 of Luke 5 says, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. I enjoy listening to Casting Crowns, a Christian group out of... uh, Eagles Landing down in McDonough, Georgia, Mark Hall and company. They recorded a song sometime back entitled Thrive. And here, here are the course, here's the chorus. Just to know you and make you known, we lift your name on high. Shine like the sun, make darkness run and hide. We know we are made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive because we were made to thrive. Palmetto Baptist Church, 
Do not think for a moment that you were made to be an ordinary church. Don't think for a moment. God made you to thrive, not just survive. He did not create you to be a bonsai tree. He created you to be a flourishing, thriving, growing, healthy, fully rooted and founded tree that people see for miles and miles around. We want to thrive. We want to thrive. Why are we moving? Because we want to thrive. Why are we leaving this wonderful place? Because we want to thrive. Why are we asking for more space? Because we want to thrive. Why are we doing things different? Because we want to thrive. Why are we daring to challenge our congregation to do things that we may not have ever thought? Because we want to thrive. Not just survive. Why do we want to do that? To make a big name for our preacher? No. To make a big name for our church? No. To make a big name for our Lord. We have been called to something, folks, higher than we've ever dreamed. You and I must continuously step up to the plate and thrive. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to be everything that you have called our church to be. Let us not be people whose mouths are filled with excuses. Help us not be people whose Lips harbor rationalizations, but help us to be people whose full thrust is to thrive in the name of the Lord Jesus. To be everything that Christ has called us to be as His church, as His people. And Lord, any church is only as strong as 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 the weakest links in that church, and Lord, as, as a member of a weak link, strengthen me, God, and strengthen us that together we'll be stronger than we'd ever be alone, and that with you we will thrive at a time when so many churches are either dying or declining or in denial. God, help us to rise up to the challenge of what is unfamiliar and uncomfortable and launch out into the deep that we may experience not just life and not just survival, but thriving. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.